Uh, hello and welcome to this week's Tales of the Resistance. This is a podcast all about antimicrobial resistance and how this growing health crisis can affect our daily lives. Um, I'm Mara Zelt. I am the project manager with the I Am Responsible Project, uh, one of the regular hosts of this series. And I'm going to be joined today in our discussion by Noelle Atieno Muere. I am Noelle and I am a recent PhD graduate from the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, where I studied environmental engineering. Yes, and uh, Amber Patterson. Hi, I'm Amber Patterson. I'm the multimedia graphics designer for the Schmidt Lab, and I'm part of the I Am Responsible team. So today we're going to be continuing our discussion of quarantine life from COVID or from cholera to COVID-19 by Dr. Kari Nixon. Um, We are continuing this week with chapter five uh, for listeners who are just jumping in now. uh, This book is all about lessons that we can glean from historical experiences of pandemics and infectious disease and applying them to the COVID-19 pandemic experience. But we have also been adding an additional layer of discussion and thinking about how these lessons could apply to how we will live with antimicrobial resistance in the future as it continues to grow or how we can improve our communication and outreach around solutions to antimicrobial resistance in the coming years. So with that, uh, chapter five starts us out. uh, The title is called Germs, Germs Everywhere, How Discovering Bacteria Saved Humanity and How It Might Destroy Us. And this chapter introduces the discussion of germ theory and also what that means for how people saw uh, infectious disease and how they lived with it. And she breaks down this discussion into three sections, three lessons, I should say. Number one, it ain't whack-a-mole. Number two, ironically, the medical revolution has caused us to live in denial of death. And number three, life is like a box of chocolates. Scratch that, a garden. Because she goes on to talk quite a bit about what the introduction of germ theory actually meant, because it didn't, at the time, create new solutions. It was just a new definition for the problem. And Mm -hmm. so identifying a problem without solutions, it's kind of what does that do to the psyche? And I think we've touched on this before about antimicrobial resistance, is that you have to have both because people aren't really prepared mentally psychologically prepared for just this existential threat and you can kind of see that in in the lessons in this chapter in terms of how people responded to it like in the section um it ain't whack-a-mole so this section she's kind of talking about how uh once germs as in living creatures had been identified as the cause of all of this death that people had been experiencing with disease, people began became very obsessed with the idea of eliminating these creatures. That um, basically anytime that a disease or germs could pop up anywhere, that you could eliminate them, you could kill them because they were living things and and there 
we had all this chemical knowledge at that point already in terms of how to kill things. And this sort of creates a spiraling effect that can lead towards things like OCD and just like, and so that's why she's saying, you know, it ain't whack-a-mole. It's maybe physically possible to kill all the pathogens, but the experience of doing so is, is just insanity making of sitting there trying to um, destroy each one of these things. This chapter to me has stood out from all the other chapters. There's a sentence where she says every, you know, after the discovery of germ theory and sanitization, we have come to expect that we live longer and we can all be saved from disease. And so there's a sentence where she says, every life saved from the grip of infectious disease was now seen as simply what Westerners or Western culture believed it was owed, or at least what was expected as our baseline of normalcy. And I really think that applies to antimicrobial resistance because we've so come to depend on antibiotics to save us and when those are no longer working and we're dying from resistance, I think there's going to be a lot of angry, confused people. And so I just thought that that really hit home. The other thing I took out of this section that is, I think um, it's, it's particularly applicable to antimicrobial resistance because antimicrobial resistance is naturally occurring, then you can't possibly address it with a sort of eliminate the pathogen mindset because it's naturally occurring. It can occur in any species of bacteria. Um, So if you were just going out with a full-on sanitation approach, well, it would be very, it would be deadly, you know, because you'd have to eliminate all life, not just pathogenic life, all microbial life. You have, you're trying a complete risk elimination, but it's sort of impossible. You kill it, the jumps keep growing. You kill it, jumps keep growing, just like playing the work more game. Okay, so um, lesson number 14, the ironically, the medical revolution has caused us to live in denial of death. So in this section, she begins to sort of explore her theory. Well, I I think she maybe have introduced this earlier in the book, but more about how in the modern world, we don't really accept the concept of death. It's unnatural. We become more and more risk averse, like um, you guys were saying, and fearful of death and, um, or the possibility of dying. I think I was gonna, circle down on the appeal to ignorance fallacy, which she really much emphasizes on in this lesson. And so the appeal to ignorance is when an action is prevented and uh, unwanted events and prevents unwanted events from occurring, but they are not mutually exclusive in a way. But just because one thing didn't happen because you're doing something else, then you get to develop that fallacy that appeals to ignorance. Like, oh, uh, I took a shower today, so it's not going to rain. Um, Nah, those two are very, very unrelated. Even if you're eliminating the risk to start with, the potential of death is still very, very probable. 
uh, but we may not know if it's because of an accident, if it's because of cancer. So just focusing on, say, the jump theory and trying to eliminate all the jumps possible, that does not necessarily mean that we are preventing death from any other standpoint. And so what she, what Dr. Nixon actually comes to tell us is that uh, even though death is unfamiliar to us, we should be able to embrace it because it is a fact that all of us are going to face it at the end. Yeah, and yeah. I think what you're saying there are kind of lead maybe into the the last section of this chapter, which was um, called Life is Like a Box of Chocolates, Scratch That, a, a Garden, Life is a Garden. Because mm-hmm. um, in this section, she's talking about basically the importance of good um, microbes, that we have to live, you know, she talks about the one health approach and how we have to live in balance with, or, or I guess the one health approach is, is really about how the health of people is highly dependent on the health of animals, the health of the environment, and those things are highly dependent on us. You know, it's, it's all linked together in big systems of interdependence. And so when we destroy, let's say, a bacterial community with our whack-a-mole sanitation, what does that mean for, you know, the sort of spiraling effects um, on good bacteria and on our health because we depend on good bacteria um, in other ways? And, and sh- this is a section where she introduces antimicrobial resistance as a concept because mm-hmm. uh, this is a big part of this story is, you know, the use of antimicrobials and what does that mean for um, increasing the uh, ability of antimicrobials to survive our treatment mechanisms. Um, and, and, the, and then she kind of talks about some of the uh, maybe more, what, what it, was it called? Um, like beneficial hygiene? Beneficial hygiene. Hygiene, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea that we could, rather than uh, having an approach of killing bad bacteria, if we took the approach of promoting good bacteria, um, we may be better off in the end. My one point for that was with the introduction of antibiotics, whereby antibiotics were initially like penicillin, it was created to help kill bacteria, right? But with that, it also developed resistance to the bacteria that were not highly susceptible to the antibiotics. And so in terms of medical advances, uh, few, several antibiotics have been developed ever since penicillin was introduced in the early 1900s, right? And so when someone goes to the, to the hospital and they're sick for one disease, uh, they can do a resistant panel and figure out what antibiotics they're resistant to. And then they prescribe the next possible antibiotic. Do you see how much denial of that that is? Like, oh, because there's this other antibiotic that we can use, let's try that so that we can prevent death. It is good, but that just also increases the panel of resistance that that person has. And uh, I'm mostly talking about this from the perspective of coming from a place where antibiotics are very, very accessible. We have a cough give me antibiotics. You have a headache, give me antibiotics. You have 
anything that can be cured by antibiotics, you are given antibiotics, you know? And so with that, you then get to develop resistance to a larger panel of antibiotics and you wouldn't know what really killed you eventually if you're resistant to all the antibiotics and there is no test that can be done, you know? So I feel like the denial of death also cross links to overprescription of antibiotics when they are not really necessary. Because we have something that can cure it, why don't we just use it so that we can prevent uh, the death to start with? Yeah, I agree. And with the, this chapter, I think, is very central to how people think about antibiotics and antimicrobial resistance, starting mm-hmm. with understanding germs as the things that make them sick. Maybe it's a natural like reaction to want to kill all germs. Then you get antimicrobial resistance. So now we have to rethink that approach in terms of living with antimicro or with, with bacteria and maybe harnessing them. I mean, um, that, that section about the, it being a garden, um, it was kind of interesting to me as a, you know, coming from a biosystems engineering background, I'm sort of thinking all the time about how we can utilize biological life and biological systems to our advantage. And so the idea that, all right, so maybe instead of killing bacteria, what we need to be focused on is um, how to use the good bacteria. I was like really enthusiastic about this idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that as, a, as an overall picture, uh, this chapter is really important because it's, it's going, it really describes the fundamental sort of pathway of how we've got to antimicrobial resistance um, in the last hundred years or so. And, and what that will mean in terms of uh, how we can, how we're going to need to address it going forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's going to wrap us up for chapter five. So we'll, uh, we'll wrap up for today's discussion. Um, and we'll be coming back soon with more from Dr. Nixon. Um, thank you both. Uh, and we'll see all the folks online again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Talking to my sister about this lesson in the book, we were driving somewhere uh, on the interstate at like 80 miles an hour. And then she's like, but I don't think that applies outside of the realm of disease. I mean, look at us. We're speeding down this interstate. Clearly risk averse is not, is not our approach, you know?